you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, every year here at the ranch, I seek to share this passage from Scripture and teach the same basic lesson because I believe it is so important that we need to hear it over and over. And my hope is that those of you who have heard it over and over will be able to share it with other people. So just consider this as practice for you, okay? Matthew chapter 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abuad, Abuad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eluid, Eluid the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Now when Matthew is introducing the Messiah, he traces the line of Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph. And as he does so, he highlights certain individuals, certain events in the history of the family line. And you would think that if he's trying to make a favorable impression, he would highlight 
the really great people who did great things. Instead, he includes a few people who ordinarily would not have been mentioned. They generally didn't make much of women in the family line. Notice it says in the opening of this chapter, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now what is he doing there when he says the son of David? Well, he's skipping a whole bunch of generations and he's saying Jesus is the son of David. That is a messianic title, but it's also saying he's a direct descendant of David. God had promised that one of David's descendants would sit on his throne forever. And so, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. But he's skipping a whole bunch of generations. He's about to go back and show us the generations, but he's skipping a bunch of generations, which was a totally legitimate thing to do, it still is today, to say he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so he's skipping way back. That is not dishonest, as long as there really are generations in between that connect those folks. So that needs to be remembered when you're looking at this genealogy. Matthew got to choose which ones to include. He did so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He highlighted people that God the Holy Spirit wanted highlighted. And let's look at these people who are highlighted by the mention of the women in the line. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Well, that's all good. Isaac, the father of Jacob, well, we know about Jacob, but, you know, that's good. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's good. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. There's the first woman in the line. Now, why did he want to mention that? Well, this was not the sort of story that most people wanted told around the dinner table at Thanksgiving. Okay? Perez and Zerah were twins born to Tamar, who was the widow of Judah's son. Judah had a son named Ur. He married Tamar. But he was a very wicked man. You find this story in Genesis 38. He was a very wicked man. So wicked that God killed him. Wow. Wow. So now she's a widow with no children and no means of support. And so she goes to her father-in-law and says, I don't have any children. I, I need a son to take care of me. Please follow the Leverett law and send Ur's brother to give me a child to raise up for me a child. It was the law in that land at that time that the brother-in-law was to take that woman as if he were her husband and give her a child, allow her to have a child that would be the son of the dead brother. Now, the older brother gets the lion's share of the inheritance. But if the older brother dies and leaves no heir, the next in line would be Onan. He gets the inheritance, the double share. Okay? So Onan goes into the tent with his sister-in-law, Tamar. He has relations with her, but he deliberately 
practices a primitive form of conception control in order to try and keep her from conceiving a child. In other words, he's using her sexually for his own pleasure, but he is refusing her the only reason why he was supposed to be in her tent, and that was to give her a child. And so God killed him. Now Judah has lost his two oldest boys. And Tamar comes to Judah and says, I'm so sorry, but Onan's dead too. I'm interested in your third son. What would you think if you were Judah? You're not sure exactly what's going on in the tent, but you know that so far, two of your boys have gone in with that woman and they've both been carried out dead. So Judah says, well, my third son is not old enough. Wait until he's older. So she waits. But then when he gets older, Judah lets him marry someone else. And Tamar realizes, I'm being abandoned. Well, Judah's wife dies, and Judah goes on a business trip, and Tamar dresses up like a prostitute and waits by the roadside where she knows her father-in-law is going to pass by. He sees her, turns aside to her. They have relations. She conceives a child. He goes to get payment, leaving with her his signet ring and his staff. That's like leaving... Nowadays, your, your wallet and uh, your cell phone, okay? Just two things you do not want to be without. You depend upon them all the time. They are clearly yours, and they have all your personal data, okay? So if you've got a man's signet ring, that means you can transact business in his name, clearly identifies him and carries his authority. And if you've got his staff... Again, that's something that is clearly his and that he depends on, that he uses for a multitude of purposes, and anybody would recognize, isn't that Judah's staff? So she is left with those things while he goes to get a goat, which is what he's supposed to give her as payment for having had relations with her. And when he comes back with the goat, she's gone and sows his ring and sows his staff. And he has no idea, by the way, that it's her has no idea it's Tamar. Because back then, prostitutes used to wear a lot of clothes, not a little. Okay? So, he goes looking for her, can't find her, gives up, goes home. And a few months later, he's told, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot, and she is with child. Well, he is angry. How dare Tamar defile the memory of my sons in this way. This is a disgrace. The penalty is death. Bring her here and we'll stone her to death. So they bring her to him and she's expecting. And she says, um, would you like to know who the father is? And he says, of course. And she says, well, I don't have his name but I have his ring and his staff. Very embarrassing. Because now Judah knows that's his child. 
And Judah also knows that everybody there knows that that's his child. And so, needless to say, Tamar is allowed to live, and it turns out she's not just carrying a child, she's carrying twins. And those twins are Perez and Zerah, and one of those twins, Perez, is the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab. Now, that's an embarrassing story. I don't know why we had to highlight that. That's not the kind of thing that we want to talk about in polite company. Well, there's another one down here. Verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab. I know that name, Rahab. Where do I hear that name, Rahab? Well, in Joshua chapter 2, she was a foreigner and a pagan and a prostitute. So why did we have to mention that the mother was Rahab? Because God wanted it in the picture. Rahab, the foreigner, Rahab, the prostitute, Rahab became a believer in the God of Israel and God made her part of the family. And she was no longer a prostitute and no longer a foreigner. That's a picture of the gospel. Folks, it's a great privilege for me to be able to come each evening and bring God's Word on these stations. I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to do that. But if you listen regularly, you know that my life day-to-day is involved in trying to minister to kids who come from very difficult situations. I want to ask you to please help us. Contact us at wvr.org and find out how you can be part of the miracle. wvr.org. Please help us help these children. Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now again, lest you think that maybe these females are just named because, after all, it's good to mention some females. When he mentions Solomon's mother, He doesn't call her by name. He simply highlights the shameful truth about how Solomon had a mother who was somebody else's wife originally. Well, how did all that happen? Well, if you look at 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, you find that David, after all his faith in God and obedience to God, hideously disobeyed God. At a time of year when kings go off to war, David decided he wouldn't go. He was going to take it easy. And in the midst of taking it easy, he got a little bored. And in the midst of his boredom, he went for a stroll up on the balcony of his palace. And as he looked out from that high vantage point, he was able to see a woman who was taking a bath. And David, seeing this, 
did not do what he should have done, which is to turn away. But instead, he became fascinated, and he watched. And as he watched, he became inflamed with desire. And so he said to one of his servants, Who is that woman? Find out who she is. The servant came back and said, That is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. He was one of David's top soldiers. And Uriah was out where David should have been, defending the kingdom. So David, instead of saying, oh, well, okay, he sure does have a good-looking wife, David instead said, bring her to me. And David took her into his bed, and she conceived a child and sent word to David. And David's response was first to try and cover up his sin by sending for Uriah to be brought back from the fighting and treating him like a dear friend, having a meal with him, and then saying, well, listen, you go spend the night with your wife. And Uriah didn't. Instead, he spent the night with the soldiers who were in the palace. Knowing this, David realized his plan to try and cover up his sin was not going to work. And so he wrote a letter to Uriah's commander saying, I want you to get in close to the wall of the city that you're fighting and put Uriah at the front. Put him right up there at the front. And then when you're there and the fighting is intense, quickly retreat. In other words, make sure Uriah gets killed in battle. And so the commander did so, and Uriah was killed. And even though David could say, hey, I didn't shoot the arrow, I didn't stab him with the sword, it was deliberately causing the death of another person. And despite that, God kept his promises to David. And though the son that was conceived in adultery did not live, the second child of David and Bathsheba was Solomon, who was loved by God. Now, why? If you're trying to introduce Jesus, why would you want to start out with that kind of information, turning a spotlight on that and saying, this is the genealogy, this is the royal line of Jesus' earthly father, Joseph? Why would you do that? God the Holy Spirit inspired this genealogical account because what's being introduced is the one who has come to save us from our sins. And what he has just done is to demonstrate for us absolutely in vivid color the fact that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This royal line is filled with sin and shame 
and failure. I don't know all your ancestors, but I can tell you this about your parents and your grandparents. They're sinners. Just like me. And we need a Savior. And the good news is that God has sent us a Savior. He sent us someone to do for us what we could not do. We're all sinners. And Jesus came to save sinners. That's the point. That's the kind of Messiah we needed. We didn't need somebody to ride in on a war horse and defeat the Roman armies because the people would have still been slaves to sin and they would have all died and gone to hell. If Jesus had not been willing to come and go to the cross and bear the punishment that we deserve, there is no way we could be forgiven. There is no way we could be reconciled to God. But Jesus came to a world full of sinners and gave his life in our place. Jesus is the only person in history who never sinned. All the rest of us have blown it. But I want you to understand something. No matter who your ancestors are, no matter how dysfunctional your family is, no matter how messed up the home that you came from may have been, doesn't matter. God can still save you and turn things around and give you a great life as his servant. You don't have to be ashamed of where you come from. You don't have to try and hide who your ancestors are. You can be focused on the fact that you are a child of God if you are in Christ Jesus. God is able to take people like you and me knowing that we are made of dust and he's able to make something beautiful of our lives. That's amazing. When I look into the night sky and I see the stars and I realize my father made that. I am now adopted into the family of God. I have been born again. I have a new identity. And that is where my focus is. I want to be like Dad. I want to be like him. And if I want to know what that looks like in practical terms, he showed me in the person of Jesus, who is, by the way, my elder brother. He's the firstborn among many brothers. And I get to have him Show me the way how to be like Dad. I'm telling you, when I read this and I see all these embarrassing messes, I realize I don't have to try and keep secrets. All the comparing to each other, it's not what it's about. You need to find your identity in Christ. You need to know that He came to save sinners. That means you qualify. Say, but oh, Pastor, I'm, I'm a mess. You just don't know. Well, those people were messes too. Rahab was a prostitute. Tamar played the prostitute. But God made all of them part of his plan. 
you need to look to your Heavenly Father as the one who will always be there for you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You can trust Him and His love for you is not like earthly love. It is perfect, unconditional, holy love. Don't be afraid to trust Him. He loves you. And that's why He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus so that you could be part of the family. The family of God. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.